0: Thomas Green here with Ethical Marketing Service. On the podcast today, we have Dr. Troy Hall. Dr. Troy, welcome. Thank you, Tom, or Thomas. It's good to be here, thank you. It is my pleasure. Would you like to take a moment and tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do?
1: Well, thanks. Uh, You know, for the most part, I'm an open book. So if you connect with me in social media, you'd find me if you find me on LinkedIn, it's, you know, Dr Troy Hall tells you a lot about me, but i like to tell some folks some things that aren't on my resume or my bio. So, uh, I'll start off with that a little bit. So I married my high school sweetheart in 1977. We have two children and six grandchildren. Now. If for those individuals who are watching, don't let the hair color fool you, but the grandchildren go from five months to 20 years. So it spans quite a little bit of time. (laughs) Uh, So most of my work is with executives to help them uh, create uh, cultures of cohesion or cohesion cultures as I call them, which are safe workplaces where people have a sense of belonging, are valued and share in mutual commitments. I do that through a consulting um, a program and then also through some executive coaching. And uh, so that's that's something. And then I'm going to tell you one other little tidbit that I that I have. And that is I had the opportunity prior to the pandemic to actually visit Cork, Ireland. And so I went to the Cork Castle because that's where the Blarney Stone is located. So if you have had an opportunity to travel and be there, you know that some of the tradition is that you have to kiss the stone upside down and that's supposed to help you with the Blarney. So you, um, the, the castle is crumbling and they have tried to reinforce it. So you go up the stairways and, you know, sometimes there's no roof and there's no wall and, you know, you're making your way up about. So I said to my wife on the way, I go, I go honey, I said, do you think that if I kiss the Blarney that I'm going to counteract all that I have today? And she says, Well, we'll just have to see. So I go up to the process. Of course, they had this little contraption where you can lean back, you can kiss it. Of course, there's been three million mouths on it. Nobody even <laughs> cared then. But today we care about hand picking and sneezing. So, you know, it's, it's really crazy how life has changed so much. But uh, later on in in the trip, uh, I was speaking with some other friends and some other folks who were uh, traveling. And uh, my wife looked over at me and she says, uh, Do you remember asking the question about whether you kiss the Blarney, if that would cancel out? I said, Yeah.
0: She goes, oh, don't worry, it's still there. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, yeah, interesting point about the, um, the way things have changed. It's a little bit different now kissing something, like you said, that have been kissed exactly. by a other people. Exactly. But coming back to your point about um, cohesion culture, um, in terms of, can you give us a bit of a, a definition and perhaps um, the, the best example you have seen of what you would describe as cohesion culture
1: so the uh, cohesion culture uh, works with a strategic framework of three elements and it's really about creating safe workplaces where people have a sense of belonging are valued and share in mutual commitments so the belonging aspect is not just the concept of saying hey i fit in or i show up every day to work it's a matter of how the individual feels in their relationship and their emotional connection to the place where they work Uh, one of the good things about belonging is that we all want to belong. We want to be a part of something. We sometimes seek that out. And in that process of belonging, we give a piece of our identity in that, to that group or to the individuals we're working with. And we give a piece of our identity. So by the way, I I indicate just a piece, because if you gave all of your identity, then we'd be talking about the first four letters of culture. And instead, we're gonna talk about the extended word, culture instead of cult. So you give a piece of your identity, it's very healthy. And what really happens, some some very extraordinary things occur, and that is it, the individuals then actually will support and uphold and defend that particular group or that organization when they may be attacked from internal or external factors. The other thing is, is that the group will automatically start working toward the common goals and the the desired outcomes of that group or that organization as a result of, of having that fulfilled feeling, uh, which is and really good. And Simon Sinek, for individuals who follow him, he tells us that when individuals feel really connected to their jobs, they, they uh, determine what, what he, he it's fulfillment. He says they feel fulfilled. And when they're fulfilled, then they love their jobs. And data tells us that 87% of the people who love their jobs, they're willing to stay. And so the point of what I do through the Cohesion Culture is to retain top talent. So the whole point is to make sure that if you're spending all this money on bringing people into the organization, why don't you consider them to be top talent? And why don't you do everything possible to keep them? So you expand from the belonging aspect, where you brought them in and now you want them to feel like it's someplace special, to giving them value. And that means that the individual needs to know what their job is and not only just the job description, but how does it relate to others in the organization and to the final product or service that you may be delivering to the consumer. They wanna know that what they do matters and makes a difference. So it's not just about having a voice, which is part of belonging. It's not just about being trusted or respected, which is still very important, but it's about making sure that what I do matters in the big scheme of life. And then lastly a shared mutual commitments. and. This is an opportunity where I teach organizations to make sure that they are explaining to their employees what that employee future looks like. So if you want individuals to begin to commit to the organization, commit to them first. And it really falls under a transformative leadership sort of context that says that you should first as transformational leaders, that you would first invest into someone else and then self. You don't give self away, you don't forget about self, that you invest into others first and then into self. So I have several clients who asked me uh, to give you an example. So I, I really am not going to refer to some national uh, group because then people have their opinions here or there because I'm not inside. I only see what I can see from the outside. But I will tell you that successful organizations that really care about their employees will become at best places to work. So look for those individual companies that are at best places to work. And the reason that I say that, and why do I use that or a glass door, best places to work is because the employees are the ones who are contributing to the survey answers, not the leadership. Leadership has to do their job, but it's what the employees feel about the organization. So if you want to know an organization that may have it together, look for a best places to work, either through their local chamber, through their local um, organization, or, Possibly through Glassdoor, which we know is an international company.
0: Have you got any particular examples around Glassdoor, or um, is, it, is it just a, a case of let's, let's go have a look and, and see if yeah, there are any I think, particular trends? I
1: think for, you're right. I think for the individual listener, I think it's important. Like part of the coaching that I have is, you know, I'm not necessarily trying to get someone to do what I think they need to do, but I want to point them in a direction and let them choose and, and do their own. When I suggest something to you, like I would pick a name of a company and say it, automatically you are biased toward that particular organization. What I think Mm. is important is that if what you wanted was to say, give me an example of a company that does this well, then I would say, then do your research and go find Glassdoor <laughs> and look it up and, and really pay attention to what it is. Then you're going to be searching into the area that matters to you. So you'll look into your industry and say, oh, here is the company that does this. I make a suggestion. It's not even in your industry. You go, oh, that's just them. Mm-hmm. You know, but realistically, ground that information for yourself and, and, uh, and, and look for what matters to you.
0: So let's say you have um, a family member or perhaps a close friend. <laughs> And they say to you, "I'm struggling a bit um, you're you're um, an expert in talent retention. I think my my best member of staff, I think they're on the way out the door. Have you got any thoughts that you can help me? Well, one of the first things that I would have to do is to ask
1: them to describe to me their culture. Tell me a little bit about what's happening in the organization. Mm. Again, what we do through the cohesion culture work when we when we create this consulting engagement, is we take those three elements of belonging, value, and shared mutual commitment, and we overlay it to the organization. And we say to the organization, what are you doing to be belonging and and value and shared mutual, what are you doing? And then we also look at the leadership of the organization and we say, how in tune are you? So when I wrote the book, Cohesion Culture, Proven Principles to Retain Your Top Talent, which by the way is a best-selling title, that particular book provided in three acts all the information that you need in an organization. The first act is about being a leader. If the leader is not right, then you're going to lose talent. You're going to have disruption. You're going to have dysfunction because the leadership actually sets the tone for the organization. It isn't the workers who set the tone, it's the leadership who sets the tone. The workers will contribute to leadership and will contribute to the culture, but it is established by the senior most individuals within the organization. And to have it be successful in the company, not only does it have to be supported by the senior most individuals, but what you support has to be honest, true, authentic, and genuine. And then whatever it is that you're creating, it has to be so easy for people that they will live it, breathe it, and own it. So, My advice then to that uh, individual is to say, what are you doing in the organization? If you're supporting all all of these items, then you may need to get to the root cause. So one of the things that I do suggest and that I work with organizations to put in is something called a stay interview. Now, it'll be too complicated to possibly go through all of the information today on the podcast for the viewers or the listeners to get it. But a stay interview is a process or program where leadership is actually doing one-on-one conversations with employees to find out why they stay so of course thomas i wouldn't you know speak to you and say hey why are you staying (laughs) you know when you could go somewhere else you know the questions are all worded very differently and they're worded in a way that that allows the individual to to contribute information and you don't do a stay interview with every one-on-one uh, there may be some elements where you're having some interactions with the individuals to you know really see how they're doing and how they're you know you do a check-in and that's that's fine but the stay interview is designed very specifically to gain information about why people stay the idea behind it isn't that it's not a one-off you actually are contributing that information inside the organization someone is is gathering that data so that they can determine what is the relationship that is also happening in the company and then um and really the most important question at the end of the STAY interview, and that one is to say, Thomas, based on everything that we've talked about today, what is something I can do to help you be successful? And what you're doing is saying to that person, I care about you. you. You actually, in that question alone, you've now said there's a future for you because I've said, what can I do to help you be successful? So I didn't say you weren't successful. I didn't say you have to be more successful. I just said, what do you have to do to be successful? What can I do? And that is a very way to express that kind of in a little bit of a neutral way so that the individual doesn't feel like there's a superlative that's sort of defining them and not quite up to speed or they need something else. They don't read more into it because they believe in it. And part of this stems from the fact that in my leadership trainings and workings and coachings and mentoring, I go with the definition that leadership is to motivate, influence, and enable others to be successful. I break that down and say what is motivation what's the purpose to motivate and people will sometimes say well the pe- the reason to motivate is to get people to do things or to 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 get them to accomplish their goals no the only thing the only purpose for motivation is stimulus that's all it does you just stimulate the rest of it comes with where you're going to direct them so you want to direct them in an area or a way that you can get the type of result either that you're looking for or you're helping them get when you influence people it's not about having coercive power. It's not using institutional power. It's using influential power, which means you mold their thinking. You mold their thinking through the words you say, through what you ask them to read, where you train them, where you develop them, or possibly um, you, could, you do it through your own actions and they get a chance to see how you act um, and that helps you mold the thinking. And then lastly, um, we take a look at enabling. Well, in a social environment, enabling means something completely different than it does in leadership. Enabling in leadership says, I give you resources and I remove obstacles. And if I want you to do your job, and by the way, that's very important because in this definition, I have identified some of the top global drivers of talent retention. And those global drivers of talent of talent retention really fall much into that category of enabling because individuals want to have the tools and resources. They want to have the autonomy or they want to understand their authority and what they're, they're actually doing to um, you know complete the job. And in the mold, the thinking, you're providing the level of, in, of initiative that you want the individual to take. So that's uh, a little bit of, of that. I've got some other things that I uh, suggest to organizations to do uh, for their own empirical observations. And I also, offer a cultural assessment tool which allows an organization to do a benchmark before we do any consulting work we do a benchmark and then from the benchmark then after a year later we're actually able to um, go in and do another survey uh, the same survey again but we are able to capture the people who were present for the whole year of change versus people who are brand new and be able to separate those. Uh, benchmarking uh, numbers. And we'll tell you whether or not what you've done in that year has made a difference.
0: Mm. I am I really like the the stay interview. Um, It does make me think of the concept of uh, the one to one. So um, have you got any thoughts of um, around the topic of frequency around one to ones? How often you're checking in with um, the people who work for you?
1: Well, I think that uh, you would want to gauge that on a couple of things. It's not what you the leader, thinks you should do, it's what the employees need. So you really think about your one-on-one based on their needs. Uh, Obviously, a frequent uh, touch base would be determined by the complexity of the project or the complexities of the organization, the type of activities. Like for instance, if I were in a media uh, environment, I would almost expect a daily touch base, right? Just to see what's happening because the media changes all the time, information, topics, things are going, so you would have that if you're in a manufacturing plant, maybe you'll need a touch base once every week or two weeks or once a month. It just depends on the complexities of what you're doing. So you you wanna balance the complexities of your industry with the needs of the individual. You may have some folks who need a little bit more attention and it doesn't mean that they're a bad employee or that they're needy. It's just that the way they're wired is that they want a little bit more feedback to make sure that they stay in tune with what they're doing. So you modify that some support for that is an article from the Harvard Business Review called The Power of Small Wins. The research that was done by Amable and Kramer is very relevant today, even though it's a decade old. Basically, the concept is, is that how a person feels when they leave their job is how they will feel the next day when they start. And so they subscribe to the concept of feeding that internal fire, uh, the progress loop, they call it, uh, to, to really make sure that the individual is taken care of on a day-to-day basis. And uh, again, what does that look like? Sometimes a day-to-day touch base is a two-minute conversation. It's not always a sit down. And then there are organizations uh, that I work with who have a what, what they call, or what I would refer to as an online or an instant way to touch base with the employee and the leader. And they have it set up so it's on the phone touch base. Um, So, And they're either set up for whatever the organization has established as their criteria for required touch bases. But the individual can touch base as frequently as they want. And also, the employee base as a whole can actually uh, provide shout outs, or high fives, or some sort of acknowledgement or affirmation to other employees in the organization, and allows it to be a continuous performance improvement and tweaking along the way. That is very, very successful for uh, organizations, especially large organizations, where they may have diverse work teams, especially now that we're into a virtual world or a hybrid work environment. Um, Something having an online ability to touch base quickly is very helpful.
0: Okay, I was going to ask you about that about your thoughts on um instant communication via tech um and whether or not I guess um, I'm thinking quality versus um versus the instant chat and what your thoughts are on there. So, I can I can probably hold my hands up in terms of admitting the fact that Um, in terms of being able to message someone immediately and getting an an answer straight away has replaced somewhat the uh, quality of conversation you might have with that person. So what you got any thoughts around that?
1: Yeah, I think first of all, we still have to remember that we're human, we're people and we do like the interaction. So I think it's important not to misuse uh, the technology that we have to just make things simple. the idea is that we should be thinking about how we relate to people because it is we we are a people-centric society and we should not be worried about replacing that because our human need the way we're designed and the way we are wired uh is to connect um so we just want to make sure that you're still doing it so i think that you use the technique Like we use instant messaging or texting or some sort of internal communication if you need a quick answer, right? I need a quick answer like, hey, do you have this information? Can you give it to me? Can you send it? Do you have time to talk? I mean, that's a quick message, right? If you're starting to write paragraphs and paragraphs in a text message, then you don't understand the tool. And so therefore, the problem isn't the tool. The problem is the user and you've, you've misused it. If you think that because you have a virtual uh, employee that they don't need to have some sort of conversation, then you're totally missing it. Um, I recommend to organizations that frequently when they set up meetings, that they actually open the room 15 or 20 minutes earlier than the scheduled time. That they give people permission to not have to do back-to-back-to-back meetings that actually start exactly on the hour and end on the hour that what they do is they start scheduling meetings that actually end 10 minutes before the hour. So although you may have an hour on your calendar, end at 10 minutes early. So an individual who goes to another meeting on the hour can actually do some socializing with people before the event actually opens. And that is exactly what we used to do when we would have in-person meetings. I have in, I've, I've had clients tell me, I am in Zoom burnout. And I'm saying to myself, I know, but you told me you were an in in-person burnout before we even went to Zoom. <laughs> and it's because you were going to, from one meeting to the next. It's the same thing on Zoom. It's So if you feel that you're burned out on Zoom, you'd be burned out on your face-to-face meetings. It's not Zoom that burns you out. It's the amount of information you're trying to accomplish in the given day that may be exhausting you. And you just don't even realize how much of a strain it is Uh, for that to happen. There's a lot of brain power that's actually involved in working on problems and solving them and doing it. And when you're doing that on a consistent basis, on a a regular basis, then you're not giving yourself any time for for any freedom. So uh, what I do recommend is that, A, you remember to take time for yourself, inject fun into the day, Uh, make sure that you give this opportunity for people to uh, communicate and, and talk about themselves personally. And sometimes a phone call is what's needed. If you can't have a face-to-face, then maybe a phone call or a online uh, visual where people can actually connect, uh, can really make a difference because we're not going to replace that anytime soon.
0: In terms of changing your own behavior um, as a leader, you've mentioned being congruent with um, what your, should we say, your values are as a company. Um, Have you got any other thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think that, um, first of all, the core values of the organization create the the foundation for how people will interact in the organization. So what we do know is that core values establish our belief system. So our belief system is based on values. Without the values, we don't have a belief system. So once we understand those values and how they begin to start thinking about them, that's we start thinking about them, that becomes our belief. Then we establish an attitude about them. So our attitude is either for or against or laissez-faire somewhere kind of in the the middle of that. And then that manifests to behaviors. So then how we act is always based on our value system. So we can't forget that. And so it is very important that as leaders we're congruent with the values. That's why we have to uphold them. Um, The other thing in the the book, the Cohesion Culture book, Um, I talk about the seven attributes of an effective leader. So that not only are you taking a look and saying, well, here are my unique core values for my organization. Like I want them to be about creativity and fun. I want, I've seen where joy and kindness are a part of core values for an organization. I've seen integrity, honesty, team value. So there's all these items that you can have. So what I say is regardless of what the value is, you should be establishing the beliefs, the attitudes and behaviors that you expect for the organization because that's the employees. Now you've got a basis to hire top talent into your organization. Top talent is just not the people who are the most skilled, it's a combination between the individuals who are skilled and who also fit with the cultural values that you are expressing each and every day. What are your traditions, your norms, your customs, your protocols, what are the symbols you use? All of those things actually reflect The organization. And you want the people inside the organization to reflect that. Because when people interact with you, either as a person to person inside or a person to external person on the outside, you should be extending the brand. The brand shouldn't be confused between who the people are and how they represent themselves. And I will tell you that, you know, people don't hide very much. You know, you're, you're pretty much, it's hard to fake yourself all the time. So eventually it shows up. You might be able to fake yourself in the beginning of a new job, but over a period of time, your true self will will eventually come forward. And what you want is that those true selves will actually be congruent with the organization. So in addition to that, then I say here are seven attributes of an effective leader. Follow these guidelines, follow these things. The first one is to be teachable. That means to have your mind open to new information and be willing to accept something that you hadn't even considered or thought of before. I remind leaders that you cannot be a victor of your future if you're held captive by your past. If you think that the only future you can get to is based on what you've done before, then you're not going to get to any new place. You're just going to get to a place that may just exist exactly where you are today. Getting to a future that you want to create and design sometimes requires you to think differently and to find new information that you weren't even sure you were going to find. And so it's all about it's not about knowing what that information is but it's about being open and receptive to the fact that new things can come into your mind that will help drive you to a different place so that's a teachability is an important And i have a mantra about that and my mantra is simply this you don't have to know everything you just need to be teachable and if you can have that concept in your head a couple of other things really great things happen for leaders you dispel something called cultural superiority. And that is when the leader has what I would call academically ethnocentric thinking, saying that that leader's uh, cultural ways of doing things are the best, or that they believe that their culture is, is, is absolutely the only way. They judge everything based on their cultural experience. But in today, as you know, that we have expanded our conversation about diversity, equity and inclusion, we need to move leaders more to cultural relativity, which means that I will begin to research and understand the context of what is happening in a culture based on its background, based on its history, based on those rituals, cultures and traditions and understanding the difference between them. If we don't do that, then we're going to get stuck a very important very simple example that i can give you on teachability is i was uh teaching a leadership session at de la salle university in manila and i asked the students at that time because i it was a leadership program i asked them just like i do in the uh in canada and other north american areas and i said hey um uh you know raise your hand if you think you're a leader and literally nobody raised their hand and that almost never happens to me in any session that was the first time and i was i was sort of taken back for a moment and i I thought for a little bit and I said, okay, so tell me, um, when do you think you'll be a leader? And then the group started interacting. And what they told me is that in their culture to accept leadership and to define themselves as a leader is a title that they believe that they have earned. Not a title they get to claim, but a title they earned. So if I would have imposed my viewpoint that everyone is a leader, and that you should claim who you are and keep letting it be a work in progress, that's much more positive than simply waiting for the someday for something to happen. Um, then I would have missed the opportunity of really relating to them and to understand that they were leaders. They just didn't claim the term "leader." So I had to invent another way for them to make sure that they were taking leadership responsibilities and, and, and uh, really investing themselves into leadership into whatever area that they were doing. Um, And if, if I hadn't done that, and I'm not saying this to brag about myself, I'm using it as an example so that the individuals who are watching and listening to this will be able to understand that if I had just applied my Western thinking into that environment that said that you have to be a leader, you have to raise your hand, you gotta take that charge on doing it, I would have been cultural superior as opposed to being culturally relative by stopping and asking myself in that moment, why did they respond that way? What was it that they were hearing that changed the way they would have responded based on the others that I, were, that I was used to working with? That's just one example of the teachability. And then the other six uh, components of this effective leadership uh, characteristics or attributes that I look to is to, one, just talk about compassion uh, that we have for you know, human beings and the compassion that we should have for others, uh, the empathy that we're going to apply, uh, grace. Uh, grace is not compassion. I had a great conversation with a leader the other day to define the difference between grace and compassion. To Understand that grace is the unmerited favor that you extend simply because you say so, not because somebody has done something. If they feel, If you feel that they've done something, then now you're showing maybe compassion. But if you want to truly give grace and be free to do that, then it has to just simply be because I say so, not because somebody has earned it and not because you're expecting something back in return. Then I expect leaders to be truth seekers. They need to find that the evidence and information that they're getting is right. Remember in the beginning of this conversation when I pointed them to Glassdoor and I pointed them to best places to work as a place to find it? Because they need to seek the truth themselves. They need to find their truth. They need to validate what they're hearing to make sure that it is true. Then obviously being humble. 2001, Jim Collins wrote the book, Good to Great. And one of the things he distinguished in that book is that to get to the top level of leadership, these companies who were extremely successful, who went from good to great, what was the characteristic that was available to all of those leaders? Humility, and so acting in the humble. The other is to be um, authentic, to have pure intentions in the things that you do each and every day, that you're not going to uh, wake up in the morning to say, how miserable can I make people's lives? I'm actually going to wake up in the morning to say, how can I help someone? How can I help them be successful? Because in taking care of them, I'm also taking care of self. And then the last element is to be a peacemaker. Will we make peace each and every day? Sometimes leaders don't realize it, but the words they say polarize people to the left and to the right. And when they're polarized, when those individuals are on this side, there may be peace in this camp and peace in this camp, but true peace exists when all parties come together in a place that they did not previously occupy and so i find that that space of peace as a leader is to always be bringing people together and not being the reason that people are polarized the one side or the other
0: it's a great answer couldn't have asked for any better than that could i well thank you i appreciate that does the um the leadership characteristics does it um is that covered? Because I was going to ask you about the the mindset of the purposeful CEO? Is that what you covered there? Or is there a distinction to be made there?
1: No, that's it. It's it's there. Oh, by the way, look, for those who are visually seeing, it's in the book. So here we go. Yep, it's right there in cohesion the book and culture. Give you
0: that information. So um, the three steps to building cohesion in company culture is that um, the opening what we what we covered in the opening?
1: In the opening, it would be right to make sure that we're focusing on belonging value and shared mutual commitment, but I have something I want to do with you if you're open to it, are you open to me asking you a few questions.
0: I certainly am. Um, Before I forget, I really want to ask you, um, or maybe put this out there for a a question in the future, which is, I think people do. um, Do see the value in a culture and you know I think people would love to implement something like this I think what they struggle with is implementation and then consistency so um, either you can um, you can run with that one now if you want to and ask me a few questions or ask me a few questions first I don't mind
1: well I want to ask you so I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that'll kind of uh, give give some additional foundation for uh, for people who are watching and listening to this on the cohesion culture So the first thing I wanna talk about is why do I even care that it's a cohesion culture? Why do I even care about the word cohesion? The reason I care about it is because cohesion is a causal phenomenon. It means that when cohesion is present, you get performance. When you get performance, you get the level of engagement that you're looking for. So if you're looking for engagement, you wanna put cohesion in. So what is cohesion? Belonging, value, shared mutual commitment. So you wanna talk about implementing, that's what you would implement. And can you sustain it? Absolutely. Because organizations can actually look at that and say in each of their own individual departments and units, you now have, Um, what I call a a framework that actually helps control the chaos, the chaos that would be all over the place. Every individual leader can be charged with the responsibility of saying, how are you welcoming people into your organization and to your department? Are you giving them a sense of belonging? Do you treat them um, as though they are valued? Do they understand what their role is? Do they see how it connects to others in the organization? And then how have you shared with them what their future is? What is their direction? Do you spend time with them in developing them? All of that, falls into place, it's very simple things to do. It's just a matter of people saying, oh, those are the things I need to do, I can do it. So I want to share with you the difference in what happens in organizations. Um, People sometimes use correlational data and they use correlational data to predict future outcomes. So I want to share with you the fact that you really want to look for causal effect data, not correlational data. Now, am I going to tell you that you should never use correlational data? No. Because all correlational does is say that there is a statistical relationship between two, two items. And you can actually create either a statistical relationship against or for. So it's either way. It's either going to be one or the other. But they don't cause the other. So I'm going to ask you this. So, Thomas, um, you've experienced rainy days in your past, I'm sure.
0: I live in the UK, so that should, Absolutely. That should go without saying.
1: Good. So, so on a rainy days, do you always open an umbrella? no no and have you had times when you've gone to the shore or had times when you've gone to other places in the united kingdom or traveled elsewhere where you have opened an umbrella to shade you from the sun
0: (laughs) um i may i may be the the worst person to ask ask this question but um i i haven't personally done that no have you observed other people who have yes great. So what
1: you have said to me, then is that I have had rainy days, and I've not opened an umbrella. I've also opened an umbrella or seen umbrellas opened on sunny days. Mm -hmm. So rainy rainy days and umbrellas have a correlational relationship, I can correlate that on a rainy day, more umbrellas will be opened than not. But rainy days do not cause umbrellas to be open because by that previous conversation, we know that we open umbrellas on, on sunny days and they don't cause it to rain. So looking at correlational data is to really understand you're trying to create a relationship and you might be able to predict some future values based on it, but you don't get a cause and effect. If you're looking at leadership, you're looking at culture, you're looking at what you wanna do in an organization to create the hard dollars for all the activities you put in, your training programs, your leadership development programs, your talent acquisition to bring in the people should be focusing on creating cultural fit to create cohesion cultures. Now the other thing that also happens, and this is my next series of questions for you, is that many times when people hear me for the first time, they think that I'm trying to make every company exactly the same. So I wanna use this example with you and talk about chocolate cake. So Thomas, have you eaten chocolate cake before? Once or twice, yeah. Good, so you've had it more than one time. And more than likely you've had it from a different baker. Would that be true? Yes. Good. Did those chocolate cakes when you had them taste exactly the same? No. Great. But you recognize that it was chocolate cake. Yeah. Okay, great. That's the cohesion culture. So every time you think about it and the reason is because aside from the cocoa, the primary ingredients in a um, chocolate cake are the milk, the eggs and the, the wheat or the flour. And there's a multitude of solutions that you can have for that. So you can have different eggs uh, products, you can have different milk products, you can have different wheats, gluten-free, whatever, bleached, uh, you know, whole grain, whatever you want to put into it. So it's a matter of mixing those items. But you still, when the chocolate cake is served, you still recognize it as chocolate cake. Same thing for the cohesion culture. It's about the three elements of belonging, value, and shared mutual commitment. And the good news is, is that if you produce those three items, then you're going to end up with a very effective culture in your organization and one that is going to be extremely easy for people to follow and to learn and to understand because it isn't complicated. Remember I said in the beginning, to create an effective culture, it needs three things. Senior leadership has to be focused on those three strategic elements. What you do in those elements has to be honest, genuine, authentic. And then lastly, it has to be so easy that people will live it, breathe it, and own it. So now the good news for you, Thomas, and for those folks who are listening is that um, every time you see a piece of chocolate cake, you're gonna say, oh, here's cohesion culture.
0: <laughs> or um, maybe just bring a chocolate cake into work. Would would that work? Um, no, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it wouldn't hurt.
0: <laughs> who wouldn't want a nice treat, right? So what's your take on um, the, let's say the big corporates and um, not to, tie them all with the same brush. But um, I think there's a, people are aware of a big corporate company who has like slogans on the wall, but is um, perhaps not, it's is theory, but it's not it's not practical if you like. What's your thoughts on that?
1: Oh, well, exactly what you would say is that you should put up on the wall, whatever it is that you're going to uh, follow and do. Although um, sometimes so seeing insincerity on the wall or uh, having a comment of of saying that, uh, you know, I wanna do what I wanna do, not necessarily what's good for you, but what's good for me. Uh, We wouldn't wanna see those words on the wall. So we tend to, to try to put something more favorable on the wall, but it goes back to what I said from the very beginning. Like don't bother putting this stuff out there if you're not gonna do it. And the hardest thing is for employees who wanna work in an environment that wants that, and they wanna know. And sometimes I have people who come to me on a mentoring you know, and again, I coach individuals sometimes who are younger in their organizational and they want to know, like, well, how can I fix this and how can I change? And the reality is, is that you can be a change agent within your organization, but it's a much slower process. When you have the power or the authority to make the change, it's easier for those things to happen because you'll you'll be able to, to feed them through the organization. What's, but what is helpful is to make sure that really whatever you're saying is is really what you're going to do and that you don't provide conflicting messages. Um, I'm sure you may be familiar or listeners will be familiar who who might be paying attention uh, very soon to this um, uh, information is that there was a global company who put out a culture memo and that culture memo uh, was not reflective of realistically what people thought the organization was supposed to be. And it was all about growth and, and opportunity, but what it turned into was more of a messaging of, productivity and focusing on um, not being a barrier or not being a constraint uh, or not fully expressing yourself because you may have a viewpoint that's different than someone else's. And in organizations, you should be able to allow individuals to express themselves. Sometimes what they express may not be um, the way you think as a leader. Well, then you have an opportunity to really evaluate that and decide is that good thinking or not? And if, that's not good thinking, or not productive thinking, or or very positive thinking for what you want as an organization. How did that person get there? Did they get there because they haven't been fed? Did we not create any influence? You know, in organizations, uh, they have the opportunity to exercise two different types of power. The first is what we call institutional power, and or organizational power, and that is when the leader is in charge, and so therefore they can. Uh, provide commands or direction. Uh, they help people adhere to protocols, to processes, to legal ways in which things need to be done. And those, that kind of power is great. There's no problem with it. It's only a problem when the individual leader uses it in a coercive manner, when they've used it as a quid pro quo, or when they have used it to try to get their way with no justification as to why. A leader who uses influential power will explain the why behind things. They will actually teach and aspire vision as opposed to trying to control vision and control people. They will get people to do the right things because individuals will know it is the right thing to do. And they will believe it's the right thing to do because the value system of the leader and the value systems of the organization are such that I can easily believe that to be true. What we find is that we must do those types of things if we really want to really you know, create the right environment um, in an organization. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm really just telling you, don't, don't put something on the wall that you're not willing to stand behind. The, the gap between what a leader says and what a leader does has to be like this. So mm-hmm. for those who are watching, they'll see that my palms are pressed together. For those listening, it's the press the palms together. That means leader says and leader does. And they have, it has to be so tight. Uh, because if, it, if there's any gaps in between, it changes the potential for interpretation and the, it changes uh, the way individuals will uh, w- will review it. And when we make choices and decisions, our value system is engaged, our value system is based on our understanding and adoption of integrity. And integrity are those, you know, really values of moral and ethical and legal convictions that we uphold. Um, knowing whether or not we're doing something to harm someone. I I tell folks, here's the best way you can define integrity. If anything that you do harms someone else, it's not integrity. So you ask yourself, so you don't have to worry too much. Are you honest in what you're saying and doing? If you are, then you're operating with integrity. Um, Jack Welch uh, had a, um, in his book, uh, Winning, that he wrote with his uh, wife, Susie, before he passed away, uh, he, he refers to integrity as the ticket to the game. He says, everybody has to have integrity is that if you don't have integrity, then you don't have the primary characteristic by which to operate. And um, that integrity doesn't mean, oh, I am a, you know, a difficult person and so I believe I'm a difficult person and so therefore I'm going to act like a difficult person means I have integrity. No, if you are doing something that creates harm or uh, some sort of concern to someone else, then you're not necessarily operating in an area of integrity and you'll need to just really re- reevaluate what your actions are. And, uh, and fix them. And you need to call them out. In an organization, it's up to leadership to call out when the leaders, other leaders need to be accountable to each other. You need to call it out when it's not happening. But if the leader of the company, if the CEO and the most executive people don't believe that's the right process or the right thing to do, then you either have to figure out ways in which you can survive in that culture or go find another culture.
0: What do you think about when I uh, first heard about the cohesion culture and the principles, I thought, um, is, is not necessarily um, positive, it's just being consistent. So um, like a company, allegedly, like Amazon have a very, um let's say, nine till nine working hours type thing, if they had like a uh, positioning for their employees, like we, we want, you know, we want to be ruthless, and we're going to get lowest prices, and um we we want you to work as hard as you possibly can would would that be an example of cohesion culture if everyone was also on board with that particular um let's say philosophy it's long because again the research is those three primary
1: elements belonging value and shared mutual commitment so in the value category if we all agreed that working nine to nine trying to get the best and lowest rates that we possibly could and those actions that we did did not harm someone else, then we would be operating in an area that would say, yeah, we, would, we, we could say that that would be uh, cohesion. Mm. Um, and again, so when you're hiring people into the organization, what I also find interesting is this, people sometimes even come into an organization knowing they're gonna work nine to nine, and then they wanna complain about it. I always find that to be interesting that, you know, from human behavior that we will take, you know, we know what the expectations are, but yet we wanna go in and carve out the expectations based to fit us. We want to customize it. And sometimes it doesn't happen. In an organization, there are specific requirements for jobs. Not every job in an organization will be virtual today. Even though there was a large trend to moving to virtual, there are still some positions that will need to be, um, you know, have people actually working inside. The the reality is that the difference between having that understood as an expectation is different than simply saying that if you don't return to work, I'm going to make you a contract employee. That's a very different conversation than simply saying your role requires you to be on site. This is not a virtual position because working virtually today as we should be thinking about it is not a benefit. It's just a posi- it's a place of work. So you simply say you may work in a remote or a virtual location it is acceptable to the organization. It's not a benefit. Now, individuals may choose to apply that as a benefit to themselves saying, wow, that'd be awesome when I get to work, if I wanna work remotely from home or virtually from home, that would be a really great thing to to do, Uh, that would really matter a lot to my life. You might see that in a positive way, but it isn't an employee benefit. And that's what's real important for organizations to understand is that when they're defining their positions, they're defining what they're doing, such as the work hours or Uh, the requirements of the individual job, they have to be fair and uniform across the board when they're fair and uniform for those positions. So anybody who has to work nine to five should be having that whatever the same job type is. Now, if that organization says every employee has to work nine nine to five or nine to nine or whatever that time is, then, then that's fine. Then they have to make sure they're administrating that fairly throughout the organization. When they, when they accomplish those things, then yeah, they could have a cohesion culture in that way. But for the most part, I would tell you the wisdom that I would say from that is uh, telling a person that they have to work nine to nine and they have to work all out and all hours to, to get that. And they're not an owner of the organization. The likelihood is that's not gonna happen based on human behavior.
0: Mm. In terms of implementation, just coming back to that briefly, a few simple steps to get started um, with cohesion culture? What would you recommend um, someone doing if they're, if they're new to this concept? Well, the
1: first thing I do, and I, I actually, this is one of the things that I, uh, one of the activities I give individuals when we first start talking, after I make sure that the CEO is on board, if the CEO is not on board, then I don't even do an engagement because um, it's just gonna fall apart. So there's no point. I, it's, it's just ridiculous. I don't wanna take people's money because my brand is based on whether or not people feel. If I say to you that I'm going to give you ideas and suggestions to retain top talent, then I need to make sure I'm delivering on it. And so I know that if the CEO isn't on board, it's not gonna happen. But what I will tell folks is you need to do some observation and you should do it for a minimum of two weeks and you can do it a little bit longer. But what you should be doing is paying attention to what are the greetings that are happening in the organization. If you're in a virtual environment, then what are the greetings that are happening when you're on online? Are you offering the opportunity to have any greetings or conversations prior to the session actually beginning, much like the when I gave that example earlier in the, uh, in the podcast? Um, so you're, you're looking for the greetings and how people are interacting. Do people just simply come in, uh, go to their office, go to their space? They don't say anything. Go to lunch, don't say anything. Go home at the end of the day, don't say anything. What are those greetings that are happening? What's occurring in the, in the hallway and, and, and in common areas where you are? The next thing is listen for laughter. You wanna listen to the sounds of the organization. What are you hearing? And I'm not saying that you wanna hear laughter like belly laughing, but it's the laughter that you wanna hear. It's the ease, is there a lightheartedness that's occurring within the organization that you're able to um, kind of see, is there a little bit of fun being interjected? And of course, when we talk about fun or when I talk about fun, I'm always meaning the appropriate level of fun that is uh, available. Uh, never, never fun. Never making fun uh, of an individual or or doing something of that nature. But I mean, just you know, sometimes people uh, will express some funny things that may have happened to them in the day, and just have a good hearty laugh about it. Um, some some really uh, you know really lighthearted activities. Uh, maybe some sort of a a group activity, a group. Um, Building activity, or team building activity, or team bonding activity. So there's some something about that. We know that when there's a little lightness and levity in an organization, it reduces the amount of stress. And today, more than ever, we're starting to understand more about the mental stress of employees and really focusing on the mental well-being of the employee. And uh, some of that can be attributed back to that nine to nine conversation that we had earlier. And then the last thing that we want. Um, that I want them to do is I want them to look for the camaraderie or the affirmations that are being made between people. Sometimes when we're physical, it could be a handshake, a high five, um, but it can also occur in a verbal sense. It could occur in the way that they respond to an email where they affirm someone. Uh, so you're looking for, for that. So it's you're looking for greetings, you're listening for laughter, and you're trying to determine what are the affirmations that people will extend to each other. Will someone compliment someone else for the work that they've done? Will they give people credit for an idea that they had? Even if that idea doesn't manifest itself to anything, but will they give somebody credit for that? All of those types of things will help you begin to determine where your culture is. Because when you find that you don't have greetings, you don't have people interacting, you don't hear any laughter, no levity, no lightness in the organization, and people aren't affirming themselves, but they're only trying to get what they want to get, you don't have a cohesion culture,
0: then you need me. <laughs> I particularly like the uh, the conclusion to that one. And um, yeah. yeah, I'm feeling bit, a little bit better about uh, about the, the culture at my company. So thank you for that. Good, Um You're welcome, What are your goals? My goals? are specifically to
1: try, so if I looked at it from a business perspective, it's to try to help as many people as possible be successful in what they do. If I can help turn at least one more organization around to have a cohesion culture, even if I have to work with that one client, like it's not about having 500 clients or 50 clients or five clients, it's having a client who wants to do this work who will make a difference in people's lives. These cultures will make a difference in the way people interact generally people spend more time at work than they do anywhere else. Uh, They think about work even when they're home. So there's a lot of interaction with work. So why not try to make it the best experience possible? And if I can do that, then it would be a great thing. And it would be an opportunity for me to to empower individuals to do that. So really my my goal is to try to help as many people be successful as possible. I also volunteer time uh, to individuals, some startup companies, some startup leaders, I actually do pro bono work with them and help them get started and get off the ground. Because I recognize that in an environment or in an economy, all ships rise when they have an opportunity to self-actualize. And people will not self-actualize if they feel threatened or if they feel that their security or their protection is, is you know, under some constant scrutiny or possibly not happening. So if it goes back to Maslow's theory very simply. So if in an organization you don't have a cohesion culture and you have, a cohesion, you have a culture of fear or retribution, then you're not giving people an opportunity to self-actualize and growth and development in an organization comes from self-actualizing. As a matter of fact, the statistics will tell us that 50% of the increase in productivity and creativity of an organization is, is attributed to the fact that cohesion is present. We know that globally, $7 trillion a year are spent in lack and loss of productivity because teams do not work cohesively together. Um, And so I know there's a lot of uh, work out there to be done. I know I'm not going to do it all or be able to be all to everyone, but I can certainly reach a lot more people. And it's one of the reasons why I wrote the book cohesion culture, so that I could give a guide to individuals along the way, they could see it, I did not write a book that needed three parts before you could figure it out. I gave you everything in one book. On page 103 of the book, it shows your visual of the talent retention model. So you can see all the pieces interacting and working together. And I describe each of the pieces in the book. So it's not like you having to, to try to take what I'm saying today and go like, well, that's a lot of concept, how do I figure it out, you can get the book and help you figure it out in in, in that regard. So I do that. The other thing that I also did was I created Cohesion Culture Camp. And so I work with a um, a, a renowned individual who does team building and team bonding activities known for his work uh, around the globe. Uh, and so we partnered and well, we partnered is the wrong word. We create a strategic alliance. There's no partnership agreement. There's a strategic alliance. And we created Cohesion Culture Camp, which is a five module self-paced program that leaders can actually take to help them create cohesion cultures. That program is also set up so that they can have employees take the program as well. So, once the leadership has taken the program, individual employees can take it. And I have several clients who ask me to come in and do these group coachings that help support the material after the individuals have gone through the session. So, um, it's really great. It's called Cohesion Culture Course.com. So, if you do want to check it out, that's that's how you would do it. And so, it gives me the opportunity to, to give people a model in a book that they can actually follow along with the information they need. I tell them how to get started and what to do. And then also to expand it, to be scalable, um, then they can actually go to cohesionculturecourse.com and actually take that, take that course and uh, um, engage with me and I'll help you figure out uh, what else to do from there.
0: Okay. Well, um, I was going to say, where's the best place for people to find you, but is, is there any <laughs> other places other than that? No,
1: well, the, the best place to reach me is DR Troy Hall dot com and that's the website and there's a connect form and so the connect form is real simple it gives me your contact information then I reach back out to you and once I do then all of my contact information is in the signature line and I just want to make sure that people seriously want to connect with me before I give them my mobile number or some other phone number and if they are then they'll go there it's a simple form they'll make a connection and uh, life will go on from there and I get a lot of business from uh, word of mouth so I hardly ever advertise uh, for the client work that I'm doing this year I didn't have to advertise at all I just basically it's word of mouth of being out in in the industry and um, having made relationships with people that really matter or make a difference so
0: I don't doubt that I don't doubt that for a second thank you so um, thank you very much for the value today and it's um, it's great talking to you
1: thank you awesome talking to you Thomas thank you so much for having me on the show